0: Let's turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 23. Our sermon text will come from Matthew chapter 23 as our church family continues working through this long first century biography of Jesus. The section that we're reading from is one of the most Intense words that Jesus speaks of denunciation, of prophetic judgment, and warning, and woe. Starting in verse 13, begins a subsection of seven woes. Woe, W-O-E, woe. These woes, they mean judgment they mean grief, they express anger and wrath. And so one of the things I want you to be thinking about and even asking yourself as we work through these woes, we've already started for the last few weeks looking through them, is should you say these things? Should should you ever say woe to someone? Who do Jesus' words apply to and can we apply them to the people of our day today can we apply them to us these are all extremely important questions because this chapter has been used and i think abused as people have misinterpreted this series of woes to say for example jesus is anti-jewish that's one of the ways matthew 23 has been used he's he's an anti-Semite, that he's a racist because he is denouncing the Jewish leaders of his day. Is that what's going on here? Is Jesus a racist, an anti-Semite? Well, I want you to keep that question in your mind, not just for today, but each week that we work through them. There's seven woes, as I said. They start in verse 13. Last week, we covered the first two because I think that there are three sets of two, and then one final woe. So last week we covered the first couple, the first couplet. And they had to do with the way the leaders of Jerusalem and Judea and the surrounding Jewish area, the way that their teaching, their lifestyle, and their influence was leading people astray. And that's verses 13 and 15. Today we're going to pick up the second couplet. I'm going to read verses 16 and following and this is one of the longer woes and it could be one that's easily misunderstood or get lost and so right before i read this one let me just say that what jesus is denouncing and what he's upset about what is causing him to have fierce wrath and anger is that he is noticing that the way people are using the bible to find loopholes in the system of how they do their sacrifices and different things about the way they talk and make oaths. And they want to try and find ways around the the word of God, basically twist the scriptures for their own purposes. So with that in mind, let me read verse 16 and following. Woe to you, blind guides! Who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, then he is bound by his oath. You blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And then you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, well, then he is bound by his oath. You blind men. For which is greater? the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred so whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it and whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it and whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of god and by him who sits upon it let's take this first woe and Let me reiterate that this is a discussion about taking oaths and finding loopholes so that you can back out of a promise that was made. Basically, Jesus is accusing the biblical teachers, leaders, Jewish, religious influencers. You're getting it backwards. You're getting the whole thing wrong. You're valuing the wrong thing even in your assessment of what should be binding or not binding. For example, he says, you value the gold more than the temple itself. You value the animal or the gift that's put on the sacrificial altar instead of the altar itself. To put it another way, they're placing higher worth on the objects that they have brought into the presence of God than God himself. And the very temple that represents God's presence. If gold or sacrificial animals mean anything, it is because the temple and the altar mean something. And they mean something because the very presence of God is there. Jesus is pointing out your discernment, your evaluation is off, like way off. And that's what is getting him stirred up in this third of the seven woes. Let's read the fourth one. Verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and you have neglected the weightier matters of the law justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you have ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. In the second woe, it's much like the first. The same problem is going on. They do not realize that some things are more important than others in God's word. And their evaluation of what is important is off, way off. Tithing your spices that grow in your garden. Jesus says, okay, that's good. The law in Leviticus commands you to tithe. Tithe everything that you grow. A tithe is a tenth. So give a 10th of a portion of what grows from your crops and give that to the Levitical priest family. It's similar to like if you go to a church, support the work of the church. So that way God's worship can continue. That's what the Levites did to make sure that the temple would continue to run and function. And so that would be a, a modern parallel. Contrary to popular opinion, Jesus is not into the motto of, oh, don't sweat the small stuff. Notice he says, yeah, you, sh- you should have done that. That's that's good. You-, you tithe your spices, the smallest of the crops that were in your garden. But he says, obedience in the small things while neglecting big things, not cool. Ignoring small things is one form... Of disobedience but obeying small things while ignoring the most important things is far worse and that stirs Jesus up and this on top of all the other things that we've covered will hopefully as we go through these woes help understand why Jesus is saying what he says why he's saying woe, why he is denouncing and and grieved to his heart So tithing was important, but caring for widows or aliens or strangers or those who are outsiders is more important. In fact, one of the goals of tithing was that you would become more merciful, that you would become faithful and just. The very things Jesus says that they have neglected, the weightier matters of the law, because the tithe was to support those people that were outsiders The Pharisees are worried about swallowing the smallest, tiny little bug that's swimming on the top of their drink. But they ignore a giant camel sitting at the bottom of their cup. It's quite a clever illustration Jesus gives. You're worried about a small little bug? Because that might make you unclean? How about the camel in your cup? So what's the big idea of both of these woes? The big idea is make sure you get the big idea. Don't miss the main point. Jesus is the main point of the Bible. And the scribes and Pharisees are rejecting Jesus and they are missing the forest for the trees. Jesus is upset and he is grieved because the most influential Bible teachers of his day are not getting the point of God's word. They have missed it. In another place, in John chapter 5, these words will ring true, I believe, to what Jesus is pointing out in this text that we're looking at. He says to these same scribes and Pharisees, you diligently search the scriptures because you think that in those scriptures you will find eternal life but it is they that bear witness about me. But you you refuse to come to me so that you will have life. The best thing I read in preparation for this teaching is a quote from one scholar who is commenting on this. And this is, I think, really capturing the big idea of Jesus being the main point of the Old Testament scriptures And him embodying and and living out the full significance of what god has spoken in his word and so here's what this author says jesus's criticisms are primarily targeted against the people of his own time who were leading israel astray causing them to look in the wrong direction at the very moment when the hour indeed the messiah had come The main reason Jesus is taking trouble to denounce them with such detail and force is because they are distracting others at the crucial moment when people should be paying attention. These men are not in fact the true guides that Israel needs at this crucial moment in Israel's history. I found that to be quite helpful because repeatedly, what does Jesus call these men? blind guides, fools. They call themselves self-appointed experts of the Bible. They're supposed to know what the Bible says and what really matters in the Bible. But Jesus is exposing not only their hypocrisy, but he is exposing how far off they really are. These scribes and Pharisees distort the Bible by getting in the way. Imagine you're on a tour. You're on a tour of a uh, city of Charleston. I did that last summer. Went on a vacation. Had a tour guide. Charleston's got a lot of history in it. Tour guide walks us around, and they're supposed to point out things that we wouldn't have seen otherwise if we were in downtown Charleston. Uh, a couple years before that, we were in downtown Boston and did one of these ancient, or not ancient, but you know, American tours of, our history's, our country's history and founding, and, and had a tour guide walk us around. The tour guide is supposed to tell you stories of the city or the place where you're at. Imagine you're at one of these tours, and all they do is talk about themselves. Imagine they tell you all these personal stories, not even stories that have to do with the history of the country or Boston or Charleston. They said, hey, well, last week I had this really funny thing happen to me. I just wanted to really tell you this, this great joke. Imagine that you're out doing sightseeing. You're at the Grand Canyon. You're at Yellowstone National Park, and you're seeing the beauty of God before you, and you want to take pictures. And then you go back, and you look at all your pictures, and you realize that somebody put their finger in front of the lens the entire time. They got in the way. This is what jesus is talking about these pharisees are the finger in front of the lens they're the tour guide who can't get out of the way that keeps talking about themselves they're blind guides they don't know the truth and they're keeping others from the truth they're setting up boundaries and barriers that keep people out of god's kingdom that was last week the two first woes Instead of recognizing that the word of God in the Old Testament that these Jewish leaders have was supposed to give access to the grace of God. It is an invitation, not a barrier to God. Jesus is implying that these Jewish leaders do not understand the Bible, the very thing that they are supposed to be scholars and experts in. And the reason is because they can't see what's really important, or for that matter, Who is really important? The one standing right in front of them. They search the scriptures diligently, but in vain. Because they think that in them, they will find life. But it is them that testify about Jesus. They're like someone who has never learned how to read, trying to teach classes about how to read Shakespeare. They have no idea what they're talking about. Imagine a man asking a woman to marry him, giving her an engagement ring. And then, for the rest of their engagement, it seemed as if he cared more about the diamond ring instead of the woman wearing the ring. What blindness! Jesus calls these people blind guides because they are the tour guide that can't get out of the way. They're the man asking the woman to marry him and is obsessed with the gift that's given to the woman instead of the woman herself and on and on we could go but this is why jesus is upset because these people are missing it and so what does he really want is he just upset because people aren't interpreting the bible right or is because not interpreting the bible right is a life and death consequence That this is all of eternity hanging in the balance this is not a, a trivial joking matter This is the most weighty of all things. And and these people are leading the rest of Israel astray. So as we conclude this message, I want us to think about applications for us. Should we be going around saying woes like Jesus? Probably not. These woes are directed to a specific group of people at a specific time in the history of Israel. And go back a few weeks and listen to the message that I gave to introduce this section who Jesus is talking to, why he is talking to them in this way, and how this is an expression of his love is extremely important for how we understand this text. But I do think that we want to make sure with these passages we just covered, the main takeaway should not be, well, make sure you tithe today. Make sure that you, uh, you don't swear. Jesus is against swearing. We read that in Matthew 5. Let your yes be yes, and let your no be no. Friends, those are good takeaways. Those are important matters. But these aren't the main point. In fact, I would argue that Jesus is not actually telling you and me that we should tithe. Many Christians use this text and use it as a demand that if you're going to be a member of a church, you're going to be a faithful Christian, you must give 10% of your income. That's not anywhere in the New Testament. Jesus is not saying that here. He is telling Old Testament Jews who are following the Old Covenant laws that they should obey the Old Covenant laws. That's all he's saying. Good job. You're obeying some of the laws. Except you've missed the most important ones. Justice, mercy, faithfulness, caring for the widow, the orphan, the stranger. In the same way then, should you tithe 10% of your income? Maybe. 2 Corinthians chapter 8-9 and nine says in the New Covenant that Christians should give whatever that God lays on their heart to give financially to the church in proportion to the love of their own heart. God loves a cheerful giver. Period. No mention of tithe. No mention of 10%. There's no demand at Embassy Church that if you're going to commit to this church, you have to give a certain amount of money. The gospel of Jesus Christ is and will always be free let's keep it that way therefore if you freely want to support the work of this church you're blessed by the teaching the ministry the discipleship the friendship all that goes on at being a church and praise god support it and if a tenth is a good start or a measure great it's in the bible it's wisdom for us but it is not law and jesus is not making it law here he's talking to people That are Jews. If you're not a Jew under the old covenant, then he's not saying good for you on your 10% tithe. His message is he's upset that the people who are tithing the very details of their spices are missing out on love and mercy and justice. And they're missing the very people that are standing and sitting right in front of them. So, friends, the main takeaway should be major on the majors, minor on the minors. There are things in the Bible that are more important than others. Do you realize that? Do you realize that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as Paul is closing out his letter, he is going to tell the Corinthian church, I want to remind you, brothers and sisters, the matters that are of first importance. And then he goes on to say what those matters of first importance are. The gospel. That Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. This and this alone is of first importance. This is the weightiest matter of God's law and his word. We need to have the ability to have discernment unless we too want to find ourselves on the wrong end of Jesus' woes. We need to realize that the Bible has some matters that are important. In some matters that are of crucial, utmost, first importance. And the gospel is of central, utmost, crucial, first importance. I hope it's not just me, but I have observed in my Christian life, growing up in the church and now pastoring embassy and other churches before embassy, Christians very quickly get caught up in the minutia of the Bible and miss out on the main thing. Anybody ever experienced that? Anybody observed that? Yeah, we kind of struggle with this. How many of you have noticed in just the last few months, Christians struggle with debates about how to deal with COVID and whether or not we should wear masks? How about some of us in this room probably are like, yeah, I don't think we need to wear masks. And others you are like, I can't believe they're not wearing masks. That's just the recent last couple months. How many times have I seen churches and church members leave churches because they don't like the music? Really? The style of music is not to your liking? And so that's a reason to leave the church? That's majoring on a minor thing. That's you're missing the point. How many people leave churches because there's not some sort of age group ministry that's targeted just for them the church is not about age segregated ministries those are important are they the most important is that how we should base our decisions about how to do church life and follow jesus i would contend no Keep the main thing, the main thing. Keep Jesus Christ the center of your life, and then he will be the center of this church. And my prayer is that he will always be the center of this pulpit as we preach. The gospel. Let's never tire of the gospel. Let's preach it. Let's receive it. Let's tell each other about it. Let's not have long, lengthy discussions that consume all of our time and energy on who the next president's going to be. They're important. That's a good conversation to have. But let's not do that in neglect of talking about the gospel. The King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the one who holds every president in the palm of his hands and turns whichever way he pleases each country to whatever direction it goes. Let's encourage each other to put our hope in Jesus Christ. The main thing must always be the main thing, whether it is an election year, whether we're going through COVID, whether there is racial unrest and debates and discussions about social justice or white supremacy or all kinds of other terms and things that are being thrown around today that people are saying well if you're a Christian you must get on this side of this debate friends it is important for us to see from this text of scripture Jesus get his blood boiling and his passion stirring because people make too much of the side matters and they miss out on him so let's not miss out on Jesus Let's center our gatherings, our lives, and the rest of these days of 2020, whatever they may bring around Jesus Christ, and show mercy and and do acts of justice and, and, and provide faithful commitment to the church, even when our preferences aren't met. In all of these ways, we see the display of the gospel And we can display the gospel of Jesus Christ with our own lives, not just by preaching it with our lips, but by us giving up our own preferences and considering the interests of others more important than ourselves. Not accounting our status or our position as something that we want to keep or hold on to, but willingly wanting to lay down our lives for the sake of others. This is the gospel in a nutshell. Refresh your memories of that important creed and that summary in Philippians chapter 2, that though he was in the equality of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, because of his humility and his death, Being the acceptable sacrifice, God highly exalted him and gave him the name above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and that this would glorify the Father in heaven. Friends, we have a statement of faith and a church covenant and creeds of the church like the Apostles' Creed to help remind you this is what's of first importance. If you're struggling with trying to figure out what's really the main thing, consult Embassy Church's statement of faith. Consult our church covenant. Look at the ancient creeds through the history of the church and notice the way they're centered around faithfulness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So my encouragement to each of us today is that we would find ourselves as those who are guides, tour guides to the cross, those that bring people closer to Jesus, those that move our finger out of the way of the camera lens, those that can say that's the main thing. It's Jesus. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we want to come now in Jesus' name and ask that your spirit will bring unity to your church, this church, Embassy Church, that we would be unified around the main thing, the gospel, the message of your reconciling love to the world, your care for sinners. I pray that in the middle of all the confusion and the debates and the division, there would be an assembly of people here in the northwest suburbs that are filled with a unified spirit where we say we have one Lord, we have one baptism, we have one faith, we are one body, and we're all united because we are keeping Jesus at the center of our lives. Lord, I pray that debates about how we should educate our children this next year, debates about what we should eat or not eat, debates about how we should social distance or not, that all of these things would be important matters that we think through wisely and are led by your spirit, but that none of them would overtake or replace or give us an excuse to keep our eyes fixed on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us, remind us, center us around your love and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.